You're listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast with your hosts, Mira and Peter. We held leadership roles, lived in different countries, and had diverse careers spanning the music industry, online technology companies, and the medical sector. Now, we develop coach and mentor leaders, creative professionals, and entrepreneurs who want to regenerate, improve, and transform the world around them, and inspire others to do the same. In each episode, we explore what happens when you tap into your intuition, creativity, and connection with others. We do this through having deep, fun, and insightful conversations with ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. In this episode, we speak to Sejal Fakir. Dubbing herself Chief Civility Officer, Sejal is not your average employment law attorney. Her more than 15 years of experience advising clients, human resources personnel and legal counsel regarding sound standard employment practices undercover the need and a personal passion for bringing more proactive, relevant and impactful workplace training programs to her clients and their teams. Enjoy listening. Hi, Sejal. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Hi. It's good to have you here with yeah, us. Tua. Great to have you on the other side of the world, but we're here on Zoom, so I love it. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it, it's great to be able to talk like this, isn't it? And uh, I mean, we were just chatting of what's the time difference. We are at 5 p.m., it's, it's winter, it's dark, and for you, it's bright and sunny morning. We're just getting started with our day here. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure it's not as cold as it is in Berlin where you are, right? Yeah. It's about, I would say, you know, during the daytime, it ranges from 60 to 70. Um, in the evenings, it'll get around 55. So it's pretty nice. We still don't even really need a jacket when we leave the house. So, so jealous. unlike Chicago, because <laughs> I'm originally from Chicago uh -huh. and over there, I mean, I left because of the cold, yeah. literally. I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago or if you've ever visited. No, but, but I know that the, you know, the winters are pretty tough, Syria. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sejal, you, you are, uh, chief civility officer and, and it's really interesting I mean we had a chat before about what you're doing uh, but it's a really interesting name and it's probably very much more even interesting uh, meaning of it can you tell us a bit about that yeah um, so of course I gave myself that title but um, you know <laughs> I'm an employment law attorney by background and I've been working with organizations and leaders pretty much my whole career. So I was a defense attorney. Mm. And um, so I got to look at organizations from a legal perspective, but then I have also done a lot of workplace investigations. So to see how investigations are from like a nuts and bolts perspective and just kind of looking at companies, when I look at what efforts they're doing on their culture or their diversity, their inclusion efforts, where I really saw a gap was that they weren't putting enough efforts in on empowering their employees and on a civility standpoint. So, you know, we're all different from each other. How do we communicate? How do we resolve conflict? Really providing that collaborative support. So my approach when I do the work and when I counsel leaders in my trainings is really sort of focused in around, let's help you create a culture of civility. So that's where the sort of chief civility officer comes from. Mm. And it's really interesting you know, we, we humans think we are civilized, isn't it? Just by, by default, just because we are born in, you know, some of us is 20th, some of us 21st century, and we think we are civil. But there's so much stuff going on that is opposite from that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just look at the world right now. You know, if we were civil, we wouldn't be here. Right. So that's kind of like the elephant in the room always where we, we have to overcome that to really sort of, you know, I like to say create a civility plan, both. In, and since we're talking about whether it's in the workplace or individually. Right. It's mm. I think we all have to do that to really see that there. And that's the thing. As a lawyer, I saw this all the time. Organizations were waiting too long to address the situations, you know, they're waiting for a complaint or they're waiting for the lawsuit. And at that point, really the only person that wins is maybe the attorney who's gonna get paid regardless, right? But everybody else loses. So I really think it's important 
to take a more proactive approach, right? And the area that is really important, in my opinion, is to remember that we're all different and our upbringings are different. Our perspectives are different. Our beliefs are different. And so you can't just expect people to show up and know how to get along. We have to equip people and we have to provide an environment where they can talk about issues, right? So for example, you know, a lot of the policies that I've drafted as, and when I work with organizations deal with their harassment policies, their discrimination policies, their complaint processes. But I'm sitting there thinking, well, what about if it doesn't rise to the level of those categories? What if somebody engages in a microaggression against me? And I just want to be able to have an open, honest discussion about it. But there's nowhere where I can go to do that. Mm. Right. So it's it's those kinds of issues that really need to get addressed early before we end up in court. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why I left the litigation world. Because I just felt like there was so much we could do proactively to really create better workplaces. Yeah. And what is that? I mean, companies, I mean, this this was my experience as well, working for, I'm not going to name them, but all the multinationals I worked for, it wasn't that they were the big evil company, but they were, they were always sitting on the hands when there was a clear systemic problem and there were always challenges, right? And there will be, even if you're, a, you know, this amazing company that's super aware and wants to tackle and challenge and you know, make a really truly diverse workforce, you're still going to have problems, right? But what is yeah. it with most companies? They sit on the hands and they're, they just hide behind the legal system. And that's such a shame because it, obviously, as you know, being a lawyer, it costs more money, but also it's not as expensive as companies think, right? You know, if you do that from day one and pre-bake that awareness into when you write the policies, then surely you're going to have less challenges but as I said, you, you're always going to face some challenges along the way, right? But if you're going to hit the ground running by making people aware of this stuff and truly wanting to, you know, tackle these things in a proactive approach, then surely the culture is going to be a lot better, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and going to what you were saying, Peter, you know, it's one of those things. It's like this would frustrate the hell out of me as a, as a when I would do these investigations. It's like you would do the investigation, we'd write our report with our findings. And then it's like they check the box and move on to the next. And I'm, I'm sitting there as the attorney saying, wait a second, there is a systemic problem there that you need to address. I'm telling you that in my report, point blank, you've got problems. But then they just put it to file the report in a folder and they move on. And I'm sitting there thinking, you just put a Band-Aid on a huge issue yeah. that's going to blow up. So keep my keep my business card handy because you're going to name me in about a year. Because <laughs> you know I'll be your lawyer then, yeah. right? But, but I mean, it's like, I'll be your litigator. It's, it's unbelievable how much data that organizations have that tells them what their problems are and they're still not addressing them. And so that's why, again, going back to your initial mm -hmm. question, why is civility that it has to be the reason because if we focus in our efforts into making sure our policies our procedures that there's accountability and people are rewarded for following their commitment to civility and you know on penalized for not then if you just dedicate all your resources to that all the problems regarding diversity inclusion a lot of these will go away i'm not saying that we don't need to have those deeper conversations. And we do, we have to do the work there. But I feel like a majority of that will go away because if we just start even treating each other with dignity and respect, mm -hmm. if we can just get organizations to focus on getting everything there, I think a lot of the other stuff goes away. Mm -hmm. yeah. And can I just circle back to when you talked about microaggression? I mean, Mira and I are aware of it because, you know, we, we've been tackling the diversity topic as well. Although, let's be honest, we didn't really think about diversity in the way that maybe you do. But just to talk about that first, what what would you say? Can you just unpack for people listening? What, what is a microaggression? You know, what does that look like in a real situation in the workplace? Can you give us an Absolutely. example? Yeah, no, great question. And I think, you know what, I, I throw that word around and you're right. I need to be better about defining it because first of all, it's been thrown around a lot already mm -hmm. this year. We've heard it like just, it's like a brand new word. I almost feel like this year people are just using it everywhere. But I think that it's also gotten the wrong definition attached to it. So thank you for asking that question. I think that micro, you know, microaggressions. So every single person, all of us, we have a brain. 
right? As I say, most of us, maybe we'll leave a few people out of the conversation for now, but um, for the most of us, we do. And because of the way that our brain is processing information, we have these unconscious thoughts, these beliefs that get formulated based on what we've been exposed to our whole life, right? So my culture, my upbringing, my religion, we're all different from each other. So our beliefs are going to be based on what we've experienced. So it's completely normal way of our brain functioning. And because of that, we have these sort of unconscious, they call it bias. I like to call it unconscious beliefs, right? Because again, bias is another word that's gotten a really bad reputation this year. So unconscious beliefs. And so what ends up happening is that you see someone or a situation for just really quickly and your brain goes right and automatically looks for some information in your mind, a previous experience, a memory, some image, something, and it attaches to that. And then you make an assumption. It's like spontaneous, like blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. You make an assumption about somebody. Again, normal. We all do it. And then what ends up happening is that if it's happening unconsciously, then without you even realize it, you might make a subtle comment. You might unintentionally like make a facial expression, a hand gesture, take some action unintentionally, unconsciously. You don't even realize it's happening. Right. So it's based on your unconscious beliefs. And so now you might send the wrong message to that individual. It's going to be harmful to that person because usually by definition, microaggressions are directed towards marginalized groups. Mm. Right. So it's someone from a dominant group making these sort of subtle comments, insults, indignities towards a person of a marginalized group. So if you're from a dominant dominant group and you observe it, you might think it's no big deal because they're subtle. Mm. Right. But if you're from the marginalized group, like, for example, me. Right. So I'm a female and a minority. And and so I've had situations where people come because, you know, I'm darker skinned. And so people will just come up and just go, oh, let me compare Like I got a tan this weekend and they'll just put their hand up right next to mine and touch me without my consent. Now, you might be thinking, you know, what's the big deal, Sajel? You know, I mean, they're just looking at your skin color, they're comparing tans. But this is my body and I just don't want people coming up to me randomly touching me. And this happens all the time. Mm. So the thing with microaggressions, it's been described as death by a thousand paper cuts, Mm -hmm. because if you get one paper cut, it's not a big deal or you might get over it. But if you're getting a thousand or hundreds of these, because microaggressions happen in a lot of different forms, it could be comments, behaviors, et cetera, then it could be really harmful for the person that's having to go through that. You know, like another one we hear all the time, we've been hearing a lot about is like, where are you from? No, mm. where are you really, really from? Mm. You know, and it's like yeah. you're, you're, you're making that person feel like they don't belong. They're not included. They're not from here. There's some yeah. other. Yeah. So sorry for that long answer, but no, I, think, tell, I definitely I think, think there needs to be more education. On this no, topic. no. I, I, yeah, no, that's why I said it wasn't like to say, oh, you, you weren't clear because you were. So thank you. And yeah, that. No. no, it's just um, it, it is so subtle. And, and what. And it compounds, you know, day after day of these little subtle things. And it, and if you're one of these people that's just getting bombarded by this stuff, yeah, from from the other side, it's tricky because that person might innocently be, not be aware. And a lot of the cases, they're not. But mm. I think that's the answer right there, right? The, I mean, we were on the call last night. Um, awareness is everything, right? That's the first step. And I mean, I'm just as guilty as everyone else, just for people that listening, you know biases all of that unconscious stuff but i'm just more willing to go there you know when i spot it or mira spots it or we're having a conversation and i realize that wow i wasn't aware that i was having an impact in that way Mm. so now i can stop that right Mm. but then there's a second part so awareness is one but the second part is actually taking action right and stopping it happening so how do you see companies being able to do that because i know it's it's easier from an individual to do that we can agree that okay once you've spotted a new bit of information if if you truly want to want to connect so for example if you put yourself as a label of as a leader for me i learned very early on in my career to make sure that i actually was speaking to everyone so in the, the messages i gave the the way i approach people i was always trying to make sure that I didn't disengage someone or miss them out or say stuff that might make someone feel uncomfortable, for example. And it was tricky, you know, I still got it wrong, but I was just willing to be honest and put my hand up and say, you know what? And and I would do it on a one-on-one basis in a psychologically safe way and say, look, you know, I was aware that I said something in a meeting and 
I'm really sorry if it made you feel a certain way. And now that I know that, that won't happen again. And let's talk about it and have nothing on it and just see how that person reacted and then deal with it, you know, when it happened kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right on. I mean, I, can, I cannot echo that enough. What you just said is that's really what it boils down to. So what like what organizations and and, the, and what I'm working with the organizations is really about how do we create an environment that's psychologically safe? for everybody, for the employees, because it's not a matter of it being a bad thing, right? We need to normalize that it happens to all of us, that it's a part of our human preconditioning. It's just the way that we're wired. So to normalize it and create an environment where people feel psychologically safe to have mm. these environments. And, you know, so I feel like this year, all I've been doing is working with organizations and helping them create a space where people can have open, honest conversations about these sensitive issues. That's what I feel like I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Like, I really don't feel like a lawyer right now, <laughs> you know? And to me, it, it blows me away because I'm thinking if I can do this as an outsider coming in, help you create this space. And it's unbelievable. People get vulnerable. Mm -hmm. People are sharing information. And I'm sitting there thinking, why can't you do this inside your organization? Why can't you do that? You should, that should be the priority for you is that if you can create that space where people can have that conversation, then they're going to come to you when something, when someone maybe behaves in a way that's not consistent with the culture or someone does something abusive or bullying, they'll come to you before they go file that lawsuit. So just create that environment. And it, again, you know, I, I have to stress this. It starts with leadership. Mm -hmm. I know everyone's coming down on leaders, but it does start with leadership. If a leadership, if the leader is visibly sincere, creates an environment where there's openness, transparency, and creates a culture where people feel, uh, what do I like to say, like permission to talk, permission to speak freely, and, and really lets people feel comfortable that they can raise a concern, they can address this behavior, and they're not going to be retaliated against. That is the goal, because that's when people will start being authentic, being who they are. And we can't, we can't move the organization until we know what we're working with. Right. But you're not even giving permission or creating an environment where people can be who they are. Right. So we're, we're putting all those like solutions out there, but we don't even really know who we're working with because you haven't given them permission to bring themselves to work. Right. And you know so, what? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, you, it's so important for people to hear that, that are listening that, yeah, if, if you're not going there first and you hear this, oh, leaders need to go there first and all of that. <clears> and it sounds very cliched and cheesy and all of that, but it is absolutely true. It's the most important thing because it is lead by example. You know, if the person, if your boss is being diverse in, in his thinking, is being inclusive, is creating a psychologically safe space for people to feel like they're part of something bigger, whether it's just a team, a function, you know, department, a whole company, whatever, mm -hmm. then more people are going to come out the woodwork and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with something that happened. But you know what? I don't want to cause trouble. Let's talk about it. Rather than in the companies that I was in, it broke my heart that people didn't feel comfortable to go to certain people. So they went straight to compliance and we know how that works. And then there's this whole investigation, scary people in some cases fly into a different city because they, get, they need to come to the head office and start an investigation. And then both sides lose because it becomes a massive mess for the person. I feel genuinely sorry for them because they had the courage to say something but they never had any safe space to put it out there before it was a huge issue, right? Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I just can't understand how leaders can't see it, that they need to be aware of themselves and work on this stuff for themselves as well. And actually every leader that we've met or you know, we, we resonate with or we look up to, it, they do exactly that. They're just completely comfortable being vulnerable. They show up being themselves. There's no real mask uh involved in the way they connect with people and guess what they connect on the human level right <laughs> and and that's what i think you know when you said how can i go in these organizations and, and do that and create these these spaces and people are really vulnerable very easily very quickly it's not like they have to really work on that you know uh and then people that are there and they're not capable or they can't or they don't know it but i think the, the thing is in the fact that you are 
feeling safe. You are vulnerable. You are bringing that with yourself. And that's how you create the space, not just you, us, anyone who does that. And this is why what, what Peter said, leaders need to really work on that themselves with our help. And then, and then they will, it's, it's like, it's really interesting. Then you don't really have to do much. That's right. That's exactly it. I mean, where we are right now, right? Not every company. And so I'm not speaking and I'm, I'm just sort of talking about just, uh, you know, kind of a generalization here. Okay. So there's obviously great leaders out there, right? But here's what I've seen being in my seat as an attorney representing leaders since 2003. Okay. So this is just based on my own experience and, and just this, the research and the work that I've done. But what I'm seeing is that leaders are making they're talking about positive workplace culture, right? So they definitely want that. They're talking about it, but then their actions contradict their mm -hmm. words. And so what ends up happening is over time, the employees start to mistrust the leader. It leads to distrust totally of the leadership over time, right? And then pretty soon, what do we all do when we're in an environment <clears throat> where we don't trust where we are? What do we do? We get scared. We get uncertain, we get fearful, we start doubting ourselves, we withdraw, we isolate. Now, it's a matter of time till that turns into a toxic work environment, mm -hmm. and then the lawsuit is right around the corner, yeah. right? So, so my thinking is, why wait for that? Why not just, it's, you know, we're talking about systemic racism and all these systemic, is, I feel like, why don't we just start creating environments where people feel psychologically safe? And if it does, then we're not going to have to wait for it to turn into a harassment complaint. If somebody makes an inappropriate flirtatious comments, mm. it's going to be, I'm going to feel safe to be able to say, hey, you know, maybe you didn't mean anything by that. But for me, I'm not comfortable with that. Can you please not do? Most of the problems are going to go away when you tell somebody that what they're doing is making you feel uncomfortable. The problem is organizations are doing the exact opposite. I, I know this because I've done it. I do the training in this area. We're a sexual harassment training. Don't ask too many personal questions. Don't say this, right? We are telling them on one hand that they can't do certain things, but we want them to get to know each other because that's the solution. We have to take the time to get to know each other. Mm. The problem is, again, back in the middle, mm. civility. We need to draw those boundaries. We need to clearly communicate what are the behaviors that are acceptable that are not acceptable. And then provide the collaboration, the tools, the training to the employees to say, we want you to address these issues. Manage your own issues to the extent you can. Now, of course, if there's sensitive issues like harassment, discrimination, and those kinds of issues, which you then I, I think you should put into a different policy, call it your zero tolerance policy. Mm. Zero tolerance for bullying. Zero tolerance for discrimination. Simple as that, right? If you don't mm -hmm. like it, go work somewhere else. But at our organization, we're not going to tolerate those. And then for all those other behaviors, make it clear. These trainings are not doing that, right? They're saying, don't do this. Well, employees walk out of there and they don't know what, what, what is this that you're telling me I can't do? I can't look at somebody, mm -hmm. right? Because we say, don't stare at people. It might be sexual harassment. So now you're thinking, I can't look at you because if I look at you, then you're going to file a complaint. So there's just so much that needs to be done. But mm -hmm. it, I feel like, again, I could talk about civility till I turn blue because I think it comes back to civility. We need to explain to people what's going to be okay. And I'm, and I'm telling you, it works. I'm working mm -hmm. with organizations. There is, you know, I'm working with a huge organization right now with employees all over the world and we're training their leaderships and it's a four hour program, but I'm telling you, supervisors are like, why haven't we gone through this before? Like it needs to be that clear, you know? And so it can, it can be done. Yeah. That's right. It needs to be clear and it needs to be worked on right constantly. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I always get a bit stuck on why companies have programs, right? Wellness programs, all of this. And they're so de dehumanizing, right? And again, I know it's there's innocence because they, you know, they, they seem like they want to change things, but there's no connection at a human level to an, an employee. So they see all this stuff and they give them an app and they're like, oh, you can meditate and all of this. And, and as you say, there's a complete lack of trust because there's no real understanding and it doesn't really look as tangible right and no yeah. no surprise that the employees are like well i know i'm being bullied right now and you know i've got a colleague who's been micromanaged and you're know, spending all this money on these apps and a wellness program and we're doing all yeah. this fluffy stuff 
but my friend's had a compliance case going on for six months and no one seems to be helping him and he's all, almost been pushed out the door. Why is that? Mm. And, and it's amazing how there's no connecting the dots, right? Uh, so to know, anyone, to, yeah. the, to, the, to the basic level, it's it's, yeah. it's it's like, okay, if you put the three of us in a room together mm. and say, you got to work on this project, right? But we don't know anything about each other. We're not given any information about each other. We're just told, here's where we want you to go, right? That's not helpful. I mean, why is it that I, as a trainer, could go into a room and, and, I'm, and I ask two people that have sat next to each other for five years, just basic questions, what they know about each other, and they can't answer it. So if they can't answer basic information or don't have that human connection, how can I expect them to go to back for each other? How can mm -hmm. I expect the, each other to support each other? How can I expect them to, to step in when the other one doesn't? What is their motivation? They don't have that motivation. And so without that basic motivation to be a part of that team and then to know what your role is right so going back to the you know i always say make civility a core value for your organization not to, you know don't include it in kind of diversity make it a core value define it because mm -hmm. if, you know all three of us might have a different definition of what that is right but if employees don't have a clear idea of what it is that they can do but what their role is too right where they fit into making us achieve our our goal but then give us the space to be able to make decisions to be able to ask the questions to each other and give us the tools mm -hmm. i think you both know this better than i do with the with the work that you're doing but i think i think we really need to shift our focus a little bit too it's it's been Let's train our leaders. Mm. I think we need to put more focus on the middle managers and supervisors, right? I think that's where Absolutely. we can really help is by training those people because that's who the employees are going to first. Exactly. So if that frontline manager or supervisor doesn't create an environment within their team for people to get to know each other, it's not going to happen. Nothing, not right? at all. So, yeah. yeah, and you're dead right. I mean, th this is what we noticed in the last couple of years in the work that we do that the, the most impact we can have with helping people is to actually engage with middle management. Because let's be honest, I mean, all of the work that we've been doing and research and all of that led us to believe or see as well when we were in leadership roles that that middle segment in the company just wasn't getting the full support. They did get some training, you know, initially, you know, to hit the ground running when they started or you're first promoted into it, you know, let's say the supervisor team lead role, you know, entry level but then after that, you kind of left just, you know, good luck, sink or swim. And there's so many things. I know we're laughing, but it, yeah. it does break up because when we speak to leaders and they're like, oh, my God, I've just been given my first leadership gig. And I'm like, OK, how is it going? Well, I'm overwhelmed and all of this. And OK, that's natural. Not a problem. Breathe, you know. So what kind of training have you done? Have you done anything about awareness, diversity? No, we don't do anything like that. Communication. Yeah, no communication. Uh no. Nothing like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, how to engage with your team, how to create a psychologically safe environment, because all high performance looks like, right? It is actually simpler than what people say, right? It's just having patience to build trust. It's taking an interest. You said it before that, you know, it, it's crazy how we don't know some basic things. And we're not saying you have to go into war and peace. But if you want to really engage with people and build trust, you kind of have to take notice about their life and some of that's personal and you talked about boundaries right you you learn from having a human normal connected conversation like you would with anyone outside of the workplace and then guess what you learn lots of wonderful things oh this person has kids or uh, my colleague next to me on the left has a really cool hobby and these are the kind of things when when the shit hits the fan sorry to swear but <laughs> these are the kind of things that because you've connected on a human level and if you're the, the leader, the boss, the people manager, you're more likely for these people to go, okay, we're, we're not digging it and we don't really want to do this, but we're going to do it for you because actually we know who you are. You're a fellow human being mm -hmm. versus the label of you're the boss, you're the leader, you're the manager. And that works for employees. And, and Sorry, one thing as well. Can we go back to the whole permission piece as well? Because I'm a bit curious, and again, I might be wrong, but do we really need to ask permission? Because surely in the best organizations, or this is what we've seen, people just know from the day they're recruited that you don't have to ask. This is a safe space. And if something goes wrong, please shout up because we know we're going to mess it up, but we really value your opinion. The reason why you're here is because everything you do 
we we want it you know this is this is the starting point but what when i see people saying like leaders and again it's innocent saying i empower you i give you permission sounds like a bit of a power struggle there right <laughs> yeah sounds like you you're somebody who has power to give <laughs> yeah it, it's a it's a tricky one you know i mean it's it, it's not that simple unfortunately you know um it's complicated and and this is why i think you have to take a look at who you're working with mm -hmm. and come up with a solution that's going to work there is no one size fits all solution to that question right and and i think that's that's the other piece we could talk about that other one for another episode is <laughs> why do we assume a lot of things right that that people we just can't this this is each person is different our personalities are different right mm -hmm. some people are extroverted some people are introverted so some people might talk out their ideas and feel free to speak them at a meeting while other people are going to process information differently <clears throat> but it comes back to psychological safety mm. so if we just look at statistics like i'm a huge person on just the facts right like in the united states there's um the equal employment opportunity commission they report all of the cases of discrimination and harassment we see nationwide <clears throat> i think it was in 2018 they reported over 76,000 complaints 2019 it went down a little bit but it was right around 73,000. okay i think in um the reason I bring up those statistics is because here's the deal. Those numbers are excruciatingly high. Mm -hmm. But what do we know? We know that 75% of people don't even bring the complaint forward because they are afraid of retaliation. They don't feel safe in their environment. So that number just tells you all by itself that this is really 75%. Now, we can flip those 75% and create an environment where they will speak up. Think about what we can accomplish, mm. right? Mm. Amazing things, right? Mm. And I'm just curious because, again, I don't have the answer. I know there's no simple answer or silver bullet, you know. But what would you say to someone who's suffering in a role, who is listening to this now and saying, wow, that's me. I identify with this person that really needs to speak up. What would you say to them? What would be the first step if they're in a place that they don't feel like they've got the support? And the second bit is, if you, if the person on the flip side, what would you say to the leaders in that company that have maybe not spotted it? And it could be innocent. Let's not make assumptions, right? But again, if the problems the problem exists because there's an employee, and even one's bad enough, right? Let alone there's probably more. But yeah, what what makes sense to say to these people? Get help. Get help. That's that, you know, there is nothing wrong with getting help. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and still I'm getting questions now that I'm like, I need to get help. I, mm. I, I, don't, I really don't know. I need to do some research. I need to talk to some people, right? I need somebody who's objective because when we're in a situation, we don't see things as objectively as maybe a neutral person can help you see. So getting someone like what you two are doing, right? Helping leaders navigate. I think that's a very important thing to do. If not, should be a priority for all leaders to consult with somebody and preferably outside of the organization on some of these issues, because mm -hmm. even HR, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, there's a reason why HR has a reputation that they do, right? That they side with managers. And I'm just going to put it out there, but it's the, I've heard this over and over again, okay? But, but it shouldn't be. They should be neutral, but that's not what's happening out there. And so the only option that a lot of these employees are feeling is that we got to get a lawyer. And I'm saying, no, we don't want to, that's not where we want to go either. We need to have somewhere else we can go, like what you two are doing, what I'm doing, right? Somebody else that object is going to help you Focus on resolving the problem. That's the issue. That we what we want to do is resolve a problem, not escalate it, not mm -hmm. litigate it, not fight it. Resolve the problem. So get help from people that are subject matter experts that can help you navigate through these situations because they're tricky, they're challenging. I mean, just this year alone, we talk about incivility increasing in organizations, global pandemic, Black Lives Matter movement. Remote technology, the dynamic shift to working from home, we've never seen that. Global globalization, mm. right? I mean, so many issues, I can't even tell you. And so these are creating challenges we've never seen before. So if you think you know it all and you can do it all, you're gonna, you're, you're not going to be as equipped as you will if you work with people that are actually out there dealing with these issues, right? Because mm -hmm. it's the old ways of doing it, the traditional mm -hmm. ways of doing it. It's not the traditional work environment. Those traditional ways are certainly not going to work.
Yeah, no absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, you, you know, it's it's interesting to me uh, that yeah, you're still trying. I, I, I was chatting with somebody the other day and said, "I'm just waiting for all of this to pass so everything goes back to normal, yeah. and then I will." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, let's well, wait for that." Yeah, waiting for the dust to settle. Yeah, down. yeah, but um, it's uh, well, I had something on my mind that I was about to say, and and it's just gone. But anyway, I probably because I gone. interrupted you. <laughs> maybe, but maybe it will come in a much better opportunity. So yeah, go on. No, it's just I'm just curious because I'm glad you talked about you know what's currently going on and there's a massive shift, right? Because in, in there's lots of good news for that because people. I mean, for me, I was always dreaming about working more remotely, and for the companies I work for, I'm not blaming them, but they just weren't equipped. They didn't have the infrastructure to do it, and then guess what happened? Literally, they they were forced to do it overnight. Which is pretty amazing to be able to, you know, flip from I'm not going to be able to do that. We're not comfortable yeah. with lack of control to 98% of the workforce working from home, right? Yeah. But that carries, as you said, uh, it's a good segue into it carries even more challenges yeah. as much as there are positives. So, for example, a lot of our leaders that we speak to and we try and help are struggling with remote, remote management. Yeah. So, for example, I did. If I think about the first gig where I had people... Now, I'm just remembering my first gig when I had people working in different places, different countries. It was really mind-blowing because I didn't have it in the tank. I didn't have the awareness or the experience or the skill set at that point. So I had to learn fast. And, and one of the first things was checking in more, but also asking permission to do that. Because uh, I hear lots of people just by default, and I hear lots of companies innocently saying to the managers, you must check in, you must double the one-to-ones, you must double the meet. I'm like, whoa, 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 because that sounds like you must double the pressure. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, yeah and it's, it's innocent, right? But for me, it would be the, the better question to ask would be, right, team, I've got your back. I know it's all strange right now. This whole year's been crazy for everyone, right? Me too. So what's going to make sense for us to get give you the right support? And let's circle back, you know, in your one-to-ones so you don't feel the pressure. Come to me privately and I'm going to have a ballpark figure of, you know, I'll maybe check in an extra hour a week. But if you need more, come back to me. But I don't see that proactive. You, you touched on it before, right? There's a lack of proactive action, right? And why is that? Because it's, it's you know what? I, I, I think just from, again, my own experience is this fear of institutional betrayal. Mm. You know, mm. people really feel like if, and this has happened, I've seen it. I've worked on these cases where, where people feel like if I say something, I'm going to be punished somehow. Right. And I've, I've even had leaders tell me, Sejal, we don't get any complaints. We have no problems. And I'm like, yeah, right. When was the last time you asked your employees or done some kind of anonymous survey to figure out what they think? about whether there's a likelihood of retaliation or negative consequences. Cause it's not what you think, it's what your employees think. Mm. That's really important here. And then they're like, oh, we never did any surveys. Okay, what are your policies? There's like one sentence in the entire employee handbook saying anti-retaliation. And sometimes retaliation isn't even defined. So we don't even know what that means. I mean, I'm a lawyer and I got to look that up sometimes, right? So now you're expecting people that are not trained in this area to know what these terms mm. mean, right? And then you've got leadership that is behaving in ways that contradicts what they're, what they're saying should be happening, a positive workplace culture, but their actions aren't supporting that. So you throw all of that in there at the same time. And again, back to what we were saying is not a psychologically safe environment. And so now we're just waiting for and it can happen. And we know it can happen because why is it that, like you said, it doesn't take a lot of effort in these meetings to get people to start being vulnerable. And they're so grateful mm. for the opportunity. I had a woman like literally broke down in tears two weeks ago in the training because she was the one that requested the training and wanted to do have the a training. And she was literally, she's like, all she said was, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. And I'm sitting there thinking like, why, why isn't she allowed to have these kinds of conversations? Why isn't there space for her? Why aren't the leaders doing more? And, and so it's, it's, it, it, it can happen. And sometimes you need help. So that's okay. Bring someone in. You know, now that I, I feel like I did that presentation, 
I don't want them to rely on me. I want them to teach their managers the skills, right? Mm. I'm, I'm not looking to be the person they come to all the time either. Exactly. I'm not saying that yeah. I should be their lifeline now. No, I want them to teach their yeah. own leaders on how to do that. So let's get your leaders, especially like we said earlier, the middle managers and mm. supervisors, let's get them properly trained, right? And, and it's those soft skills that are important because a lot of these supervisors, let's be real, are getting promoted up because they get the work done. Mm-hmm. They get the job done. They meet the numbers, but they've never trained. They don't know how to lead people. There's a whole difference between how to be a good leader and how to just get the work done, right? I mean, so so let's train those people though, and 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 make it good training. Don't do this check the box BS training that you're wasting money or throwing it out the door, right? It hasn't worked. And so let's really figure out what's going to work for your organization. Again, with training too, there is no one size fits all solution. We need to take a look at what we're working with and come up with a customized plan. So stop mm-hmm. throwing your money away on things that are not customizing it. You know, like, oh my God, just, uh, I think it was like these week, these days blend together, but I think it was a couple of days ago, maybe four days ago, I don't know. <laughs> but I was talking to this person. And they were, they contacted me for the civility training. And then I was like, okay, well, have you done any diversity inclusion training? I, you know, I get, I spent like an hour and a half to kind of get to know the culture and the demographics and all of this. So I started asking her and she starts telling me about how they've got, they're already starting to see like multi-generational issues creeping up. So they've got the baby boomers and the millennials and there's differences, you know, every, every generation has some sort of negative stereotype attached to it. So Mm -hmm. it's not like anybody's off limits. We've all got negative stereotypes, (laughs) but if you've got issues like that, then obviously your diversity and inclusion training should cover or have some training on unconscious bias when it comes to those negative stereotypes. I mean, come on, this is like basic. She's like, well, that was these kind of questions never were even asked by that person that came in and did our training. And I'm like, you just threw your money out the door because how can we fix the issues that you've got if we don't know what those issues are as a trainer? Like I can't, unless you want me to just come in and give you a check the box training, then you might as well just go get the free ones that they offer everywhere, right? Like if that's what you're trying to do, so. That's really interesting that you said, and I think there is lots of this, what we said, the way we did stuff before doesn't work anymore. And it's, it's like I've, when we do anything, the first thing, yes, we have our agenda and stuff that we would like to cover, but the first thing is asking questions. What do you need? Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to know what I'm getting into before I get in there, yeah. right? I mean, I, I've got a pretty good intuition <laughs> and a sixth sense, yeah. but I want to know what I'm walking into. Like, am I going to be looking, am I going to be getting a lot of resistance? Are they going to be, you know, I want to have an idea of, what kind of questions might pop up, mm-hmm. right? I want to be ready to answer those. I'm not just going in there to show for an hour. I'm going in there to help that organization. So mm-hmm. I want to be able to help them. And the only way I can help them is if I understand what their issues are. And usually a lot of times they don't know what their issues are. So part of my job is to help them figure out what their issues exactly, are. Exactly, yeah. That's and the I right question. I that until I know mm-hmm. what your issues are. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know what? It's funny that I think the biggest mm-hmm. thing I'm hearing, and yeah, tell me if I'm wrong, Lots of conversation we've had this year, and it and it's unearthed a lot. But no surprise because people have had a bit more time to reflect, and you know sometimes that's a good thing, and it can also be quite debilitating when you've got too much time to think about your own thoughts, right? But one of the things I see people struggling with is when someone disagrees with them, right? Because mm-hmm. for for me, the diversity piece, everything's included in there. Yeah, um, religion, where you grow, you know. That's all fine, but what what I see is the biggest thing that divides people is when they're not comfortable thinking that they that a person has a, a different opinion than them, and and I can concede to that. You know, sometimes it happens right innocently, but I'm more likely now. I want to get curious. If if you don't agree with what I'm saying, I, I really want to know why. You know, and I get yeah. curious, I get excited because I don't want drones. I don't know about you. Any great leader shouldn't want a load of nodding dogs or yes mm-hmm. people. You know, they they should have people in the team that are going to challenge. Because for me, challenge was growth. I'm, I'm not going to lie; it was uncomfortable. You know, trying to facilitate meetings with with teams where they were like, "Yeah, we don't want to do this," or "We've got a different opinion on it." But having that patience, and again, I know we talked about it, creating that safe space for people mm-hmm. to throw the hat in the ring and say, "Look, I don't agree." Okay, well, let's talk about it versus what, you know, the dogma in leadership and a lot of people do innocently is like, okay, they're disagreeing with me. I'm scared. Fear that, mm-hmm. you know, the amygdala's kicking off. The, you know, it's a real situation when actually that's what high performance looks like. If people are kicking yeah. off and that's giving you good. feedback, right, that's a good thing. If they stop and become mute, 
you've got a toxic environment, right? Yeah. I want to do jumping jacks. Like seriously, you're <laughs> saying like all the buzzwords. I'm like all excited and jazzed up right now in this conversation because that is so true. A lot of leaders think that if everyone's nodding their head, right, that I'm doing a good job. And all that means is you're, that's called confirmation bias, right? <laughs> that's what that is right there. And that is not what you want, right? You want, first of all, it doesn't work unless you have diversity at the table. Let's be real. Like, I don't care what great leader you are, unless you've got the perspectives of the diversity that's present within your organization, right? So that's the key. You have to look at what you are working with again, and then you want to make sure there's representation at the decision tables, period. Otherwise, it does not work because people's voices need to be heard. And if they're not there, they can't be heard and they can't be taken into account. So if you're a leader, here's the first thing you do. Look around the room. If they all look like you, you've got a huge problem that needs to get addressed, <laughs> right? So start fixing that. And there's no such thing as there's only so many seats at the table. Screw mm -hmm. that. Build a bigger table. Mm -hmm. Pull up those extra chairs that are sitting in the back over there that nobody sat on or there, you know, make some extra chairs. Do whatever you got to do to get the representation at the table. That means add more seats. No, you don't need to take seats away. Mm -hmm. Add more seats. You're the boss. You can do it, right? Okay. <laughs> then now you have to create that environment of mm -hmm. inclusion, right? Where people understand, not just at that table, but <clears throat> understand that the goal is for everybody at the organization to feel valued, to feel included, to feel like their skills matter, that who they are <clears throat> is an asset to the organization. Because until you can make your employees feel like they're an asset to your organization, you cannot create an inclusive work environment, mm -hmm. right? So, so I, I know we make it sound so easy, don't we? But yeah. I think it is. Well, well yeah, I, I think it is easy. I'm, you know what occurred to me as well? Because I hear this a lot, and I think it's a lazy excuse. Uh, and again, I know it comes from sometimes an innocence and a lack of awareness, but I've heard people, you know, they're not stupid. They know what they're saying, right? So, for example, if if someone's listening to that now and then challenges you and says, right, I push back on that. I've hired the best people I could, and it just so happens they're all exactly the same as me. What would your answer be to them? Yeah, and, and then, you know what? So there are, I've seen a lot of this going on, right? Where people are saying now, oh, should I fire everybody that looks like me? And I'm like, no, that's not what we're saying. That's exactly not what we're saying. You know, look, if you've hired the best, if you've made the decision that these are the best qualified people and you've checked your bias mm -hmm. and you feel comfortable defending your decision, then fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. All right. But the reality is, is have you checked for bias in your hiring processes, in your recruiting processes? And we're not just talking about at the table right there. We're talking about at all layers of the organization. So if you've got, uh, you know, 80 percent Hispanic, Latino and, and color people or brown people in your organization and there's not a single leader at any level. Sorry. Go back to the drawing board. You haven't tried. Try harder. Right. It's a rough but look, until yeah. you can feel comfortable defending your decision for bias. And that's the key, the bias piece, which is the, again, getting people to have that conversation. That's where we're, we're, we're getting, trying to get more people into that conversation, but it's happening. It is happening. Mm. And um, just to, just to tie it all up, is there anything else that you would like to add? Because I know we, we covered a lot of ground. I think we could go on for hours or on highlight this highlight something. Yeah. yeah, is there anything that just underpins what we've discussed? And also the second bit is if people want to contact you and they need you, you know, your type of work, they, they want to bring someone like yourself into the organization, where would they reach out to you and what's the best way of approaching you? Yeah, I mean, my, I guess my final thought would be just, you know, I think that look at your organization, right, and come up with a holistic plan that is customized, comprehensive, that really addresses the human elements of who you're working with, of the people that you're, you're working with, right? And, 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 and I, it's kind of like when we're working out, right? You build your muscle, you know, and you start building your muscle, you're going to build everyone else's muscle too, but it definitely has to start with the leadership. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I, I'm, I'm not going to go back over it again, but the whole asking for help thing is just so important because we're dealing with an environment, a culture, a world that's very different now than it was last year. That was earlier this year. And so, you know, you can't use the same approach. And I think this is a perfect time to really look at sort of your processes and make them leaner. You know, I, I think that, you know, a couple of organizations that I've been working with, they've been doing the same thing for years and they're like, well, it's not, it's not broken. So why work on it? And I think we need to look at it differently of how do we be more efficient moving forward? And that in, includes with our human, you know, with our training, our investigations, our compliance, all of that stuff. So you really kind of need to do that. But look, there's no better time than right now to do it because people are wanting to do the work. You know, employees understand that they make up part of the culture, mm -hmm. you know, so they got to do the work too. And so Max, you know, ask your people, get feedback from your employees. I mean, I think doing surveys and, and really talking to employees right now is the best advice I have for all leaders. Like I tell leaders personally, go sit down with each and every person in your team member and, and have an open conversation about what are issues, what are things that as an organization, you have an excuse right now. We're coming out of this, say we want to move forward and we want to do it. That's going to be better for everybody. Use this opportunity to really develop, you know, and, and that implies to organizations of all sizes, whether you've got one or you've got, you know, a hundred thousand, whatever. I think if you've got one person, you need to start working in your culture, right? And just stop tolerating uncivil behavior. Just make it, you know, something that it's going to be, it doesn't matter what happened in the past, but going forward, we really want to create a culture of dignity and respect for everybody, you know. So if you want to find me, um, I would say LinkedIn is the best place. I, I really, truly believe in sharing information, good information, um, and, and that's helpful. Like, so, for example, today I posted a whole bunch of resources on why the business case for diversity, right? So it's important. I think we want to be careful that people are sort of, you know, we want changes now sort of thing. And, and I think you really have to be thoughtful and, and mindful of how you approach these conversations and make sure you're, you're talking to the right leader and you're, you're the right person to do that talk or whatever. But there's some good data that you can use to make that business case. So, so follow me on LinkedIn. I'm always posting things like that. And then my website is, um, my, the name of my company is Train Extra. And so if you want to know kind of what my services are, you can go to my website. It's www train extra t-r-a-i-n-x-t-r-a.com brilliant those would be the two ways thank you now but honestly we really loved this conversation because i'm still i'm still processing what we discussed because i know that i mean we've talked you know before this as well so i know that no doubt we're passionate about these kind of topics and maybe we'll do a part two because i'm still thinking there's more that i want to ask you but we can't keep going on for hours you know <laughs> probably <laughs> Yeah. So thank you. Really appreciate that. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This was great. I knew I, I had no doubt. I had no doubt. I in fact I'm gonna suggest that every time we talk, we record our conversations because <laughs> yeah, it's we a great have idea. such amazing conversations. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for, for being yeah, uh, thank here you with us today. You made it to the end of this episode and we appreciate that. So thank you. If you're looking for coaching, want to develop your leadership skills, improve your team's performance, get more creative or strengthen your business relationships, please check our website www.themindtakeaway.com or drop us an email info at themindtakeaway.com for more details. We would love to hear from you.